It's important to begin the Kriyat Torah and the, and the message this morning around Kriyat Torah with that qualification that children should leave the room because the reading this morning is serious. Children are serious too, but you might want to wonder it's going to be about something heavy. It's Yom Kippur after all. And this day of fasting and, and refraining from many of the physical things, many of the corporeal things, the, things, the, the material things that remind us of our own mortality are present for us. We're not eating, we're not drinking. We're wearing a shroud. Some of us were all dressed in a talit in the way that we will be when we are buried. Yom Kippur is death day. If Rosh Hashanah has the theme of birth and the notion that the world is created on Rosh Hashanah, then Yom Kippur at the end of a week is a day to contemplate and reflect upon the boundaries, the limitations, the things that we have no choice but to surrender to. In that way, since the theme of truth has been so operative for us, awakening truth, in some very profound way, and we've spoken about this over the years, this should not be new to members of this community, Ernst Becker's book, The Denial of Death, of course, is the ultimate truth book. If there's one thing we can absolutely and radically claim is true without any doubt whatsoever, it is that we will all die. So it should come as no surprise that this morning's reading, the reading that the rabbis would have us read on Yom Kippur morning, begins there. The reading this morning begins with the absolutely unbelievable, traumatic death of the two children of Aaron. It begins with Mot Bene Aaron Bekarvatam It sets the stage, it begins a story. And look, we heard last night from Orson Welles, if you want a happy ending, it depends on where you end the story. Where do you end the story? Where is the story finished? And so powerfully, the reading this morning begins with the aftermath of that tragic event, that traumatic moment. Après le, it's after that moment. And what then ensues, what you'll hear and you'll read if you follow in the English or if you know it, is essentially the entire Yom Kippur rite, R-I-T-E, the entire detailed, picayune moments of what the high priest was supposed to do in the ancient temple in order to forgive and grant expiation, forgiveness for the people. All of those details, that right, those to-do list, the instructions appear after that. It's very clear, from the text at least, that were it not for the death of the children of Aaron, there might never have been the entire Yom Kippur ritual. It could be. 
There is that intimation in the text that when God speaks to Aaron, not only is he telling him about something that was interrupted by this tragic event, but is actually a, an effect of it. As if to say Yom Kippur is, as we said, tomb to womb. From death and from the impossible, from that which can't be handled, that which we can't stay in the room for, we stay in the room of the tomb, and it becomes a womb. We spoke last night about that movement, the seeds, that in the depths of destruction there are seeds for possibility, that in the depths of trauma there are seeds for empowerment, for in the depths of the unimaginable. There are strengths that must be found and then elevated. And so God speaks to Aaron after the death of his two children, and he says to him, Aaron, here you go. Unless we think theologically, of course, we can get caught theologically. Is God saying, is it a trade-off? Is it a quid pro quo? But if we allegorically move slightly back and take a distance from the text, the text is saying something profound. that it is possible to get up again after tragedy. It is possible to make a turn, to remember life. It is possible. It is possible to hear horrible news and staying with it to metabolize it and have it become that which fertilizes the growth of who you are meant to be. It's possible. But there's one condition, says the Torah, one of the things that the, Aaron, the Aaronite priest or Aaron or the one who enters the holy place has to do, and that is they have to confess. Confess? What do they do wrong? What's wrong here? Says Rav Soloveitchik, the great modern Orthodox 20th century rabbi, confession here means we have to bring to our lips the thing that we weren't willing to say. That's what confession means. You might have been sitting here this morning or maybe even last night, and let's be honest because we're awakening truth here. You might have been going through the list and going, not, no, not me. Uh, I didn't know. I'm not sure. Can't relate to that one. Oh, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> come on. Come on. So what can you relate to? What is it that's here inside that he's to be brought here? So here's one story amongst so many, a story of staying in the room for a seed to be born. And I say it with permission. Some of you have heard this story before, but it came to me. This morning, as I was preparing to speak, I said, I got to tell the story again. And maybe people have heard it before, so you'll forgive me. But if you haven't, I keep the story by my bed, you know. I reach for it. I went to, after receiving a phone call from a friend telling me that um, her husband's cancer had returned and went to visit him in the hospital before Yom Kippur. And before I went, I got a phone call that said to me, you know, you have to be really careful 
Um, one of our children, and all of them, but one of them in particular is having a really rough time with this in the sense that he's got a lot of theological questions and he's really struggling. His father's only 50, he's in his 63 years old. 60. And lived a wonderful life. He was an incredible man, beloved by everyone, the people who worked with him, the people who just met him. He would leave work and say to his coworkers, I love you. That was kind of like that's the kind of business that he ran. It was not a business, it was a family. And he had struggled with the cancer. It had gone away for and been in remission for many years. And then during that time, I remember he would, he would often text me when he would see that I was in Israel. Facebook would bring me into his life and he would say, hey, you're at the wall. Say a prayer for me. Keep me, keep me clean. Keep me healthy. And I did. But I was told that I have to come and it's soon and I need to speak to Brandon. So I came to the hospital and I walked into the room and it wasn't a tomb. It wasn't heavy. It was full of light. He was making jokes, Scott, making everybody laugh. He knew that, that he had only a couple of weeks to live. And at the foot of his bed sat his son, Brandon, and I said hello and gave him a kiss. And then we sat down, and the conversation quickly turned to theodicy. Why do bad things happen to good people? And Brandon looked at me and said, you know, my dad's a good man. In a couple of weeks, he was going to take me to college, my first time. How do things like this happen? Why do they happen? So any rabbi worth his salt knows at that moment you're beat, you know? What can you say? So I prayed. Help me find the words. And I said, you know, when we go to heaven, Brandon, they're going to ask us a ton of questions, and I promise you that before they can ask me any question, I will ask your question to God. And I have a guarantee that God will look at me and say, I have no answer for you, David. And then I said, Brandon, I think what will happen next is that God will then ask me a question and say, not only did you get me, you know, you got me. But now, here's a question for you. What are you going to do with the sunsets and the sunrises and the flowers? And what are you going to do with life and all of its variegated colors and all of the gifts and all of the beauty, what will you do with that? You will have that question to answer for me, David. And at that moment, I will say to God, he got me. Got me. Aaron's two children are taken. Yom Kippur is the response and says, where is life? Where is life? 
Faith is a focus. Where will you focus your energies on the negativity, on the pain, on what is being destroyed, what has been destroyed, or will you focus your energies on what is already there? From the sublime and the most painful to a funny story that I heard from a rabbi friend of mine who was not quite so funny, though, when it was experienced. She said she was on a plane last summer, and the plane lost an engine. The scariest 10 minutes of her life. As everybody prepared for impact, an emergency landing, there were fire trucks everywhere. It was absolutely unbelievable. And miraculously, the pilot brought them in. They touched down. It was great. It's like a miracle. People were crying. It was unbelievable. Like, you know, strangers who 10 minutes before didn't even know each other were hugging each other. It was unreal. They stood on, they were on the tarmac and then they made their way into, it's like they, they were alive. They were alive. They were kissing the ground. It was unbelievable. And then they made their way into the airport and they began to wait for their next flight. You mean it's going to take an hour? <laughs> Two hours? She was sitting there and watching with absolute surreal incredulity. That She went over to him and she said, Do you remember like a couple of hours ago when, when we lived? That was her job. Hey, you remember a couple of hours ago? Yafa Epstein, she said, When we lived? When we lived? <laughs> Crazy. Faith is focus. Where do you focus your faith? We began Rosh Hashanah with simply noticing what's painful. We began with staying in the room. Playing with options when we are able to make room for the truth. And one of those options when we make room for the truth is the option to choose faith. To choose it. Not because someone will wave a finger at you. Not because if you don't, then you are letting down your ancestors. Not because if you don't, you'll be punished. But faith as focus because we can focus in many different places. There's a never-ending stream of negativity that can come to you on the click of a button if you so desire. How much negativity... How much despair, how much despondency, how many moments will we lose this year when we choose negative over, despair over? Faith is focus. And where you place your energies, that's where you'll be. And so we need to call it out, says Rav Soloveitchik. We need to confess that. We need to say those words, I have faith. To bring it to our mouths, I believe in humanity. I believe in this project. I believe in my own capacities. I believe the world can get better. I believe, I believe, I believe. Because when we stop, when we stop saying it, says Rav Soloveitchik, confession means that which is in your heart, which you're afraid to say. It could be a mistake. I should have married someone else. I mean, Arn, I didn't mean, that wasn't a confession. I'm just saying. 
I should have chosen another way. I should have. I wish I could take it back. To say it, not just to think it, says Rav Salavich, just to think it is not enough. It only becomes real when it comes out into the air of the room until the Yom Kippur rite happened. Until the priest came and said, I affirm life again. I don't just think it. This is our creed. And in order for it to be true, maybe you can work with little seeds of it. I sometimes believe in the world. I would like to live in a world where we believed in it more. There's a rabbi in the Hasidic tradition whose name was Moshe Leib Sasev. He was a great rabbi. He was a great Hasidic master, and he was also very honest. He was known for his truth and honesty. And so every day, religious Jews have the Yudimul Ikarim of the Rambam, the 13 I believes that Maimonides wrote in the, 13th century, in the 12th century. So one of the customs amongst these rabbis would be at the end of their prayers, they would say the 13 I believe statements, the creed, Ani Ma'amin, Ani Ma'amin, I believe, I believe. And his devotees, his students, wanted to get closer to hear what it was like for him, the great rabbi, the great and exalted, revered, beyond the, tr- the sublime and transcendent rabbi. What were the words that came out of his mouth when he said those I believes? Because they knew what came out of their mouths and they wanted to hear him. And so they leaned their ears against the door of the back of the study hall to hear him at the end of services saying, I believe with a perfect faith, I believe with a perfect faith. And here's what they heard. Ani ma'amin. I believe with a perfect faith. And then this one word, halavai, 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 which is Hebrew for, I wish that it were so. I believe with a perfect faith in humanity. Halavai, halavai, halavai. There's life there. I believe with a perfect faith that sun will rise again. Halavai, halavai, halavai. I believe with a perfect faith that I can choose life. Halavai, halavai, halavai. These are the seeds of truth. These are the seeds of truth that if we irrigate them daily with love and patience, they provide us with shade in difficult times. They can help us. When we feel despair, when we feel it's unfair, the journey towards healing is long. The journey towards truth is equally treacherous But this morning's open up, this morning's aliyah, for those who feel called to stand at this moment where you are in your seats, to sprout forth from the seed, as it were, is for that ability this year, that capacity, that strength to be able to focus our faith, to look at more sunsets and more sunrises, to appreciate what we already have. And when the gremlin comes and says, what about more? What about this? What about that? We say... Halavai, halavai, halavai. We stand for faith this morning and for the focus that grows it.